you're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast, hosted by Zach Bechtold and Matt Franks. If you'd like to learn more about the Bearded Theologians, you can go online at beardedtheologians.com, where we have past podcasts, blogs, and a couple items for sale. So check us out, beardedtheologians.com. Thank you for listening, and enjoy this week's show. You're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast, hosted by Matt Franks and Zach Bechtold. And today we have a very special guest with us today. Um, we have Tony Jones. Tony, thanks for being with us, man. My pleasure. Great to be here, guys. Yeah. Why don't you tell us a uh, you know, little bit about who you are, where you're from, what you do? I live in Edina, Minnesota. That's a suburb of Minneapolis. Uh, I have a wife and three kids. They're all home because of the virus, my college kids. So... Uh, I'm cooking and doing a lot of dishes. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, what do I do? Uh, I'm a freelancer these days. I've kind of gone in and out of jobs. Um, I My story is I grew up here in Minnesota. Uh, I went to college out east. I went straight to seminary. I went to Fuller Seminary in California right after college. And then when I got out of there, um, I worked for three years for a youth mission organization called YouthWorks, helped to launch that deal and lived on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. Then I got a job as a pastor at my home church, which is a congregationalist church. So it's like kind of like a UCC church, but it didn't join the UCC during the, during the big mid 20th century mergers when all the denominations were forming. I worked there for seven years. That's when I started writing books about ministry and um, prayer and ancient spiritual practices and stuff like that. And then I went to Princeton in 2003 for a PhD, which I ultimately completed in 2011. Wrote about the emerging church. That was, of course, those years I was heavily involved in the emerging church movement for like, we had a pretty good 10 year run, you know, of being uh, like church famous. And then that ended. Uh, I worked in publishing for about 10 years, part-time and then full-time. And then for the last year or so, I have been uh, totally freelance, just writing, uh, launched a podcast, working on some other creative projects on the side. Uh, You know, I don't know, hanging out, raising my kids, training my dogs, stuff like that. Honestly, that's that's a whole lot. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, I've done a lot of <laughs> yeah. different things, you know. It's funny. Um, it's funny. I never thought that I would probably be a seminary professor. I've done that. I'm, I'm Like, I teach at Fuller Seminary now. I'm just starting a new Doctor of Ministry cohort, actually. It just launched um, this month. And we've had to, of course, rejigger everything and change when we're going to meet or whatever. But... Uh, I don't know. I, I've gone back and forth. It, it, there, there's a lot of, there, there's very few jobs and there, there's a lot of people with PhDs in theology like me who are underemployed. So I guess, I mean, I, I do coach some other, almost all guys who are in the same boat as me and try to encourage them to be more entrepreneurial and, and try to be gig workers and figure out ways that they can take their, uh, education and their experience and do other interesting things with them. So 
you know, you think of guys like Trip Fuller, you know, who started Homebrew Christianity, or I've got friends like that who are Peter Rollins, you know, we're, we're, those of us, we talk a lot about doing stuff that, that, um, you know, makes the world a better place, but isn't in those traditional avenues of like, get a job teaching in the seminary or whatever. And um, I guess I could always go work at a church, but mm. <laughs> dude, I mean, when's this gonna, when's this podcast going to air? Uh, maybe today if I get it all put out. Oh, okay. So, like, so, so it's going to air during coronavirus. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, here's the thing, you guys, do you think people are going to come back to church after this? I think we're going to see a couple different things. Okay. Uh, I, I think we're going to see some folks come back, but I think we're going to see folks take advantage of the technology as well. I just, I see pastors on, on Twitter or whatever, on Facebook, people I know, and they're, you know, saying, oh, I can't, you know, when we, we're going to see a surge when people read, they're going to, pe- people are going to realize how much they miss church and they're mm-hmm. going to all come flooding back. And I think, I don't think so. I honestly think people are going to realize they didn't miss church right. and they're not going to come flooding back. Right. And the other thing is, even what I read this morning like churches are being implicated in the spread of this deal. Mm-hmm. It's almost every hotspot in the country. Like there's a big blow up going on right now in France. And it seems to have been, uh, it's Genesis was at a, a evangelical mega church in France. Mm. And now France is like right behind Spain in this massive outbreak. Right. So anyways, yeah, no, and that's, no, no. And that's been the, like, that's been some of the conversations that I know we've in the circles that I've been around or having conversations in a lot lately is what's it going to look like? How are, you know, um, and, and yeah. what, you know, with some of that stuff, like, how do we handle the, how do we respond when you have those idiots and uh, they're idiots? I mean, at that point they're idiots. I mean, yeah. uh, allowing right. not taking care of your people is, is idiotic and irresponsible. And, and really poor stewardship of people. Um, and how do we respond as pastors, you know, with that? I mean, I mean, the first week in Oklahoma was really March 8th and I was the only church in town that had shut down Yeah, and everybody else was still meeting and it, we, we caught a little flack for it, but yeah. you know, my whole deal is taking, my job is to take care of people. And if, I, I would much rather talk to them on the phone when they're at home than them, you know, being in a, a hospital on a ventilator. And, yeah. um, and, and I've had to, you know, stay firm in that because it seems like people are, you know, pushing back now. Uh, well, it's changed a little bit now since it's the curve since in Oklahoma, we're continued, you know, we're continuing climbing. Yeah. Um, you know, our, our governor provides himself on being a top 10 state and we're in the top 10 of this. And so, um, <laughs> um, we love being wasn't in the top. Sure, you guys are looking wasn't your governor out at like, uh, Oh yeah. Selfies of his. Yeah. I mean, between, between Tiger King and your governor, you guys are, that's, that's rough. Right. It's yeah. Rough Oklahoma right now. Yeah. It, it's fun. Uh, <laughs> it's fun being in Oklahoma for sure. Um, I've been asked a lot more questions about things that I have no clue about because it's not my culture. And as um, you but you, you, you bring up a good point of when this is over, right? When the pandemic's over, yeah. whenever that is, 
we cannot as a church or frankly as a society push back to go, well, we got to get back to normal. We got to get back to the way things were, Um, especially as the church. I think we have to begin to embrace what is and what is going to come of this. And I think how do we continue? A lot of churches are just going to not reopen. They're going to close because they're going to run out of money and Mm -hmm. they're popular. I mean, what's the, let's talk about just like your denomination in the UMC. What's the average size of a congregation and what's the average age of a congregation yeah yeah average size uh 50 to 100 probably uh and, for most and, the and a- age, the age is... of the average parishioner is what, 50 to 100 <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so i just uh yeah i i mean i think a lot of restaurants mm-hmm. aren't going to reopen and i think a lot of churches aren't going to reopen because they were right. already running uh, on a mm-hmm. on a budget that probably wasn't sustainable in the long term and this is just going to accelerate their demise i'm mm-hmm. guessing i mean i i th- this is just a hunch I, I don't have any data necessarily to back that up but, well yeah. and it's it's always hard to predict that stuff and how people will respond i mean it's just um I think the one thing it's doing for the church and this is something i've definitely have had many zach and i've talked about this many mm-hmm. times um it's allowing us to look and see what we do and what we can let what what we can let go of and what we can when we do get to be back together physically. What are some things we want to hold on to that were that are healthy, and then those things that we've either had to cancel or we've had to like you know we're shuffling around you know scheduling you know asking ourselves is this something that's really worth the time and energy or can we look at doing some new things and, and share how we're doing some new things? Um, and um, I think that's, that's hopefully pastors will, will do that with their teams and figure out how they can, you know, maybe maximize their effort coming back when we can meet again and say, you know, Hey, that thing we were doing that nobody came to let's, you know, when it comes back around next year, we're not going to do it. And yeah. um, I think, I think that this is allowing us to have that, space to do it. Um, not necessarily in the way that anybody ever would want to. Um, but I think in a way that, um, will allow some things to be let go of. And some of those, you know, just, I mean, you've been around, you've been around the church in different ways and you've seen those Holy grails that people lean on that people spend more energy and time in and, you know, it's not necessarily worth it as much as other things could be. And well, how about this? I mean, what's like, (laughs) is, is the, is the ecclesiological bureaucracy going to rethink things? Because here, when your district superintendent calls you later today, please tell me they're not still moving everybody around in June. They're like the UMC has got to rethink this itineracy thing during this, right? You'd like to think so. You would like to think so. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Um, But uh, so, and, and I know Zach and I's conferences now move in July. And I mean, that's, still doesn't matter. Um, but, um, there's been some conversations, but I mean, it's, it was kind of one of those things that when the ball, you know, the ball started rolling before all this hit and it was hard to stop, like to say, we can't do it, even though we now like I, everything I, else in our culture has stopped. How can right. they <laughs> yeah. this, right? if, if, the, yeah. if the NBA well, and the NHL can stop mid season, I think the UMC well, right. can tell people to stay put for a year. Right. For a while. Well, yeah. And when one would hope that, um, but like in, and I don't know about Zach's conference, but I know in our annual conference, we had a mass amount of retirements. Yeah. And so it's, you know, it's the shuffle game and you start one and it, it just, it's crazy. But um, no, and I think that that's, 
I, there is some of that I know being like, I know they're not making as many, but they're making the ones that they have to make because mm. well, we've had retirements and when you, you know, it's kind of hard if no, you know, that's, that's, that's my understanding from having conversations before. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, and, and there are some ways. And one of the things I have to say though, that's been fun is um, getting, and I, I can speak to this a little bit better because Zach's conference was doing this way better than we were. Um, was the telecommuting is now happening more in Oklahoma than it was before. Mm. Um, and that's nice. I mean, I have to admit, I, I live uh, three hours from Oklahoma city and an hour from Tulsa. Um, and so um, if I'm having to, you know, go to a meeting in one of those two places, I'm giving up almost a whole day. Yeah. Um, and now when I have those meetings, the people have learned or slowly learning how to use this technology and it's let, you know, I don't have to go anywhere. I can stay from the comfort of my home or office and, Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been a nice bit of creativity. I think that's allowed that's provided been a part of this because it's been hard for me to push that. Right. And, and, and you guys got to put off your big divorce by a year. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, honestly, that's, that is relieved more stress than anything else is we were ramping up, talking about it, talking about it, talking about it. And then now we're not talking about it. Uh, it is no longer the most important thing in the room. Uh, what is, is keeping, keeping people safe, keeping people healthy and making sure that we're uh, doing everything we can to bring God's love and grace through that uh, rather than focusing on this really divorce. Yeah. That's a clearly the perfect word for it. I mean, it's interesting, right? Because we're, I'm in many, I'm in Minneapolis and of course we're hosting the big Mm -hmm. uh, general convention and, um, you know, we also hosted the ELCA, uh, big convention, whatever it was, 10 or 15 years ago, when they voted to stay together and allow gay marriage and gay ordination in their churches. And the Methodists, you guys, I mean, is it because it's more global? Is it because of the the Methodists, the Method UMC churches that are in different parts of the world that are more inherently conservative on issues of gender and sexuality that has some to do with it uh that has some to do with it money and power and position have some things to do with it um yeah what do you guys make of like uh, um um the the big the big umc mm -hmm. uh churches like adam hamilton and mike slaughter and will williman and those power players who kind of tried to broker a truce and were unsuccessful Mm-hmm. Is it because they don't have as much sway in the denomination as pe- some people thought? I think it was because uh, in certain places uh, in the world, they don't necessarily know who those people are. Uh, okay. And so uh, while if you're in the United States and you don't know who those people are and you call yourself Methodist, you really might want to look at your card again. Cause <laughs> I mean, you just named like the power people. Yeah. Um, I mean, and um, uh, there's enough people that, or there's enough on the other side of the globe that don't know. And I say the other side, of the globe, I mean, that's really kind of how it feels. Is, I mean, it, and it, yeah, but and, it seems and, that the Institute of Religion and Democracy is able to get in touch with those people on the other side of the globe. And right. right. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. I'm, well, it's, and, it's, and that's, it's always like conservatives are always more coordinated. It seems a hundred percent. Yeah. They're, they seem to be a little more coordinated, a little more well-funded. Uh-huh. Um, 
Yeah. And, and that's what we've seen in the last however long, but especially in the last uh, four years is a, a very concerted effort to consolidate, to come together and say, this is what we're going to do. And, yeah. and you've seen the WCA come out of it, which is very well funded, very well put together and uh, is, is pulling on all of these other strings, uh, calling little churches that may not be open after this. Right. right. And likely wouldn't have been open after uh, if this wouldn't have happened, you know, and just pulling on those things saying, we'll come with us and then we're going to leave you behind. Yeah. It's, it's going to be interesting. And the, I've, I've been telling, asking people who don't understand the intricacies of Methodist polity and all the fun things that I usually say, have you ever watched a dumpster fire? <laughs> I mean, have you ever really watched a full dumpster fire, like from beginning to end? That's how this is going to be. Um, yeah. And it's going to be a mess. And it, it sucks that we have to wait a year um, because I want this done so I can move forward in the ministry that I'm doing. And I'm not feel like I'm having to continually come back to this and yeah. continually telling people in the LGBT community no when I don't want to tell them no. And, um, and I, I, I need to be able to move forward. And I, and I feel like I, we've, I feel like at least in my congregations, we've, um, hit a point where like we want to be able to move forward and we know we can't and we're stuck and and that's enabled us in our community to be able to be the force that, the, the feeling that we really feel called to and um and so we're, i mean i hate to admit i'm ready for it to be done so we, we yeah. can move forward right. um I'm but sure. i also don't feel like having a global meeting in the middle of may in the middle of a pandemic is the wisest thing to do <laughs> contrary to how some people feel. <laughs> um, and, oh, really? Yeah. Well, so oh, there's a lot of pushback on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I oh, mean, yeah. you know, if, if everything were lifted in April, like, you know, at the end of April, like they're saying, you know, it may happen. Uh, there would be people that would push. And even though I know that that's not going to be. No reality, way. It, it, just um, in the, just in the Minneapolis paper today, the, the, the mathematical models they're running in the Minnesota department of health, say that we're going to hit peak between May 15 and June 15 Yeah, is going to be peak here. I would think Oklahoma would be similar. You know, it's, it's moving from the coast toward the center of the country. Mm -hmm. We were one of the first. And so like we had some of the first cases um, Mm -hmm. at least known. Um, And, and so we've, we're kind of on the, we're a week behind Seattle is basically how we've been operating in Oklahoma. Okay. Okay. Um, Our governor hasn't been, but, for the most uh, part, right. the state has been. Yeah. Yeah. See, and I'm in, I'm in Montana. And so we're two, three, four weeks behind all of that. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so, fascinating. So Tony, you've got this really, uh, you've got this new podcast out. Mm-hmm. And so talk a little bit about the podcast for us. It's called the Reverend Hunter podcast. And, uh, you know, it grew out of, I went through a really bad, rough, uh, 10 years of my life and lost uh, basically all my credibility in the church world based on uh, going through a bad divorce and then having my ex-wife write a bunch of stuff about me on the internet. And all of it was not true. I, you know, I, I ended up being granted, awarded by the court full custody of my three kids uh, she ended up leaving the state and has has no contact with two of the kids and limited contact with the third. But none of that mattered in the church world. Like that stuff was about me on the internet. 
And that was enough to basically end my writing and speaking career in the internet. Uh, I mean, in the church because of what people read on the internet, which is like, I get it. I understand that, you know, the church, the, the church world is a particularly, I'm going to even use the word industry. The church industry is particularly sensitive to that kind of stuff. I, I, for, for good reason. And I understand why, but what it, caused me to do was I really needed to figure out a different um, a different avenue or a different way to both practice my spirituality and to try to use the gifts that God gave me, which include writing and speaking and communicating. It's, it's what I love to do. And during, the, during the, those really bad years, I found a great deal of comfort and spiritual growth outdoors. Um, we, we own some land up in central Minnesota. Our family does. I spent a ton of time up there and I had been, I, I took up hunting as an adult. Uh, when I was around 30, I just started dabbling in hunting a little bit. Uh, and then for like the last 10 years, starting in, like in my forties, I'm, I'm, I just turned 52 a couple days ago and in my forties, I got really into hunting. It just became the, the thing that brought me life. And not only in the, not only in my connection with nature and the wilderness and my dogs that I hunt with and stuff like that, but also um, when I would go hunting, like uh, when I would go out to South Dakota and pheasant hunt and end up in a cafe with a bunch of dudes, they didn't give a crap what the internet said about me. They, they did not care. Um, all they cared about was like, is he a safe hunter? Does he have good dogs? Is he a good guy to have a beer with at the end of the day? And it's funny. I used to, you know, travel. I could, I could list off a dozen names of like people who are Christian famous church, famous people who used to be my very best friends. And talk to them, you know, weekly and all those people faded away from my life and the people I was spending time with then became people you've never heard of before names you never heard of, never will hear about. Um, so that was all a long journey for me. And I was really out of the public eye for many years and just had my head down working in a publishing house, raising these three kids, trying to get them launched into the world. And so now two of the kids are in college. I left that publishing job and I just wanted to try to put words to this thing that had given me so much comfort and helped me grow spiritually and personally. And that's being outside. So I launched the Reverend Hunter podcast. Uh, I've written a memoir that my agent is currently shopping. Uh, that's about this. That's, Tentatively, uh, tentatively titled The God of Wild Places. And I've just reflected on how the my outdoors life has filled a lot of the... I've even, it, like in the book, I, I talk about how on when I was ordained on September 7, 1997, and I was given this robe uh, that, you know, the deacons of the church put my... We, we wear academic 
uh, black academic Geneva gowns. That's, that was our tradition. So people who th think like uh, Presbyterians or Calvinists, that's kind of the look, you know? So I remember being given this gown and they put this academic hood over my head, which we also wore academic hoods in worship. Um, and it just meant everything to me because it's everything that I had been going for in my life. I, since I was in seventh grade and first said I was called to be a pastor and how that robe now sits in my upstairs closet, in my house, you know, in a garment bag, un, unused and how the, the, like my liturgical vestments now are a hunting vest and like a leather, I mean, can canvas, double tin chaps, you know, and, um, a blaze orange cap or whatever. Um, my shotgun, my rifle. So anyway, that's kind of a long meandering explanation of how I ended up here with this new podcast. Um, and so far, we've released a few episodes. I'm interviewing people on the podcast who also find some kind of spiritual meaning outdoors. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, yeah, that's, that's what it's about so far. I love that because I, I find living in the part of Montana I live in, we're just an hour and a half from Glacier. Um, and so we're right on the Rocky Mountain front. And uh, often when I... Um, see people in community. When I first moved here uh, a couple of years ago, it was, Oh, sorry, pastor. We, we don't come to, we didn't come to church this weekend. We were up hiking. Great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Please go do that. Uh, and, and, you know, still get a lot of that. Um, and I'm like, stop apologizing to me. Uh, you don't owe me any apologies. Go and be in those places. Find God there. Uh, Cause I guarantee you will. Um, those, why not go and connect? in with nature in this way. Um, I, I really, since moving here, I have been exploring uh, so much of that theology of the fullness of creation in it, it trying to get people to think, remember that it, it, it extends far beyond us people mm -hmm. uh, and into the fullness of what God creates uh, plants, animals, dirts, mountains, you know, uh, water, everything. Right. And um, I think giving people that permission to go, Oh, hey, go and be in these places, go and do these things and find the ways that you connect to God in those moments and the people that you connect with doing it. Um, and stop apologizing to the pastors and priests and whomever, because uh, you weren't in the building on Sunday. I'm happy. Please be there. <laughs> go and be in those present in those places, because that's uh, equally, if not more important. Yeah, in a couple of weeks, I've got an interview that will drop with uh, Nate Pyle, and he's a, a reformed pastor, RCA, I think, in Indiana. And he has written a couple books. One's called Man Enough, and it's like rethinking masculinity mm. um, away from the traditional. He's an evangelical guy, but but on the more progressive side of evangelical. And he's also a deer and pheasant hunter. And we had this really fascinating conversation talking about um, how his, he's an archery hunter. And that takes an extraordinary amount of practice. Like mm -hmm. he's constantly, right, right now, you know, we're six months from any uh, open hunting archery season. And he's out there almost every day practicing with his bow. 
And he talked about the, the sacramental nature in the, in the mm-hmm. interview. He talked about the sacramental nature of bow hunting and the, the spiritual discipline of practicing with that piece of equipment on a daily basis, which is something that I had not thought of before. It's, it's kind of fascinating stuff, you know, but I've also done a lot of thinking about um, hunting, for instance, is a, is a, in a, an inherently violent activity. You know, like you're ki- killing, you're out to kill an animal. There's bloodshed involved. Um, and, and I've spent a lot of time thinking about that. And my latest book, the last book I wrote was in 20, that was published in 2015 is about the atonement and about how this very violent act stands at the center of an otherwise peaceful religion. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it, there, I find a lot of intersections for me with that. Um, and then there's less kind of like overtly spiritual connections because I think a lot of people of our, you know, you guys are probably younger than me and then even people younger than you um, are really interested in where their food comes from. They're interested in more um, kind of naturally harvested types of meat, stuff like that. I mean, Montana is a Mecca for like the, the most popular hunter in America is a guy named Steven Ranella, who's in Montana. His podcast meat eater podcast is wildly successful and he's got a TV show on Netflix That's right. Yeah. And it's all like younger, hipster, bearded uh, (laughs) dudes who it's so different from the traditional old school conservative hunting shows. It's about um, having respect for the game. It's about how you prepare the meat after you harvest it, uh, things like that. So I, there's kind of an interesting turn happening in the hunting world. And what I didn't hear any, as, as I was getting more involved in that world, I did not hear anybody talking about the spirituality of it. And yet when you ask people, I mean, there's some statistic I read on the Pew, uh, the Pew website about Americans, like uh, 70, 70% of Americans between the ages of 18 and 49 feel a sense of wonder at creation when they're outdoors. Mm-hmm. People above the age of 40, like 49 to 70, it's less than half that. So there's something about in this, like the spiritual, but not religious category or the nuns, they still find some kind of spiritual connection outdoors. And, you know, I just want to like catalyze a conversation about that. Yeah. Oh, and I think that that's a great thing. I mean, I know um, I've already uh, recommended your uh, podcast to a couple of people that I know that would connect well with it because that's who they are. They're hunters and they're, I mean, they're, um, they, they've said the things like you have just said and um, I'm like, Hey, you know, you should listen to this. I think this is a good thing. And that's kind of one of the things that we do here. We've got some people that would, you know, fit in that, you know, that's what they're looking for and longing for. Yeah. And so, to be able to connect them with your podcast, I think is a, is a great thing that we can, you know, try to help, you know, help do. I mean, um, and you know, we wanted to be able to do that. And I think, you know, you, you definitely hit on some things of, of wanting to be connected to nature and, and that longing for that, uh, for people, you know, in that younger demographic. And, and I see it time and time again. And, and I think that that's, um, 
kind of one of those untapped fields that we're not talking about enough mm, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. There's, it, it's interesting how little you hear about that in church. I think about how little you hear about being outdoors and stuff like that when it's so important to so many people, it's just mm-hmm. where, I just think it's where a ton of people really find connection, figure out who they are personally. And um, the, 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 the second episode of the podcast is an interview with a guy named Lantani, another Montana guy who is the president of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, which is the fastest growing conservation group in the country. And he's a guy who, by the way, he turns 45 tomorrow on Friday and he talks in my podcast and gets a little choked up about his dad died when he was 45. Mm-hmm. And he, he, had, he loved his dad and has a super intense relationship with his dad. And he talked about um, rushing home from college to see his dad and his dad dying right then, like right after he got home from school. Mm-hmm. And he walked away from the church and walked away from faith. Mm-hmm. In that in that traditional theodicy way, you know right. what I mean? Like, yeah. Why? why if if there's a God, He wouldn't allow stuff like my dad dying to happen. So I'm out. I'm out. Mm-hmm. And we had just had a fascinating conversation about that and about how he finds connection, even though he's he still has this like nostalgic love of the church he grew up in and even talked very admiringly about his pastor from growing up, but he just can't see himself going back into the church world. Right. Well, and it, there, I think there's more, there's probably more of that, right? People who have walked away for whatever reason, um, yeah. but usually losing a loved one early. Why? Why is this? Why would God let this happen? Um, in if you if you look at the current predicament that we're in as mm-hmm. the church, how how do we begin to connect with? Uh, we we have to connect with people outside the church now because we can't gather in it, right. and so we have an opportunity to do things differently, and um, not only doing our church services and things like that, but encouraging people to find God wherever they are um, in, in connecting these pieces of folks saying, Hey, when I go out and I, and I hunt and I see these things, I'm, I'm seeing something, right. Yeah. Whether they're going to name it as spiritual, whether they're going to name it, whatever, but they're, they're connecting in this way. And so how do we begin to tap into that and say, well, what about this? Mm-hmm. You know, have you, have you seen it this way? Um, and I, I love the idea of the liturgical vestments being, the bright orange vest and hat. And I mean, there's that, that's the world I live in. Right. And uh, I've got people who will go and uh, stand in their tree stands uh, on Sunday morning and make it back into church or, you know, give me a text message afterwards. Hey, sorry. No, no, no. That's where you were. That's where you were. Yeah, that's fine. Just be present in those moments uh, because you're going to God, you're going to find God there mm-hmm. and uh, just be open to that and, and be willing to um, quit worrying about me and my, my feelings as your pastor and just be present with, with where you are and, and how that spiritually fills you up. Isn't that funny? I mean, I, I remember when I was going to seminary and then when I was serving as a pastor, there was 
I mean, I, I can see why we inculcated that in people's imaginations. Like they have to apologize for not being at church on Sunday. Right. Because we were raised to do ministry. Like you need to follow up with people when they don't come to church. You know what I'm saying? You need to um, figure out why they're not there. And uh, now it's hard to relinquish that. But mm-hmm. if they don't come to church, uh, if they're not coming to church on Sunday, if they are choosing instead to take their family on a hike in the mountains or to go uh, sit a ridgeline and, uh, you, you know, look through their binoculars for an elk that they're trying to hunt. What's the role of the church? Like, how do we, how does the church stay in business in that environment with those kind of people? What does the church have to offer or how does the church offer them something that is still relevant to their lives? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like if you, if, if you Zach as a pastor are saying to a guy like, Hey man, it's no sweat. Don't come. Like you go be on your elk hunt. It, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm cool with that. But then what is the role of your church in that person's life? I mean, I'm not, it's not a leading question. I'm like, literally, uh, honestly, I, I don't know the answer to that. Right, right. And I don't know that I do either uh, outside of just community, right? Because um, I, I see so much of what at least I do in the church is, is gathering in, in community, whether that's in the building on Sunday morning or the bar on Tuesday night or in the coffee shop on Wednesday morning, you know, wherever it is, or just, you know, going out and riding in a combine with somebody. Um, finding ways that we can connect as, as community, um, that doesn't depend on the building, um, but also involves it right when, when it needs to, and when it can, um, but forcing people who aren't connecting with it to try to walk through the doors and force this connection isn't working. Uh, and so for our folks that aren't, uh, aren't walking through the doors that aren't connecting with, uh, the physical church space, how do we offer them that? as well as community beyond uh, where we sit in the neighborhood. Like, I wonder, so you're, you know, what part of Missouri, I mean, Montana, what what part of Montana are you in? Uh, So North Central, we're uh, just south of Glacier on the east side of the mountains. Okay, cool. All right. Um, I mean, I wonder at a a church like yours, what would you be able to offer uh, an outdoorsy person, like a hunter or hiker, something mm-hmm. like that, for them to integrate their spirituality into that outdoor activity that they're involved with. If it mm-hmm. doesn't involve them going to a worship service on Sunday morning, because of course that's, I mean, you know, f- for a lot of us, weekends are just the, you know, one of the only times we get to do, pursue those outdoor activities. Mm-hmm. I wonder what resources we as the church can offer people who are living their lives more outdoors and are less inclined to come to a weekly worship service. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, maybe it's podcasts, right? Maybe it's right. Uh, written materials. Um, I, I, I for sure, I agree that the community as I think, especially, well, I was going to say, especially in more rural areas, but I think it's everywhere that mm-hmm. the, church community it fills a need um but i just also wonder what other resources can we offer those people to help them integrate some kind of 
theological reflection into their outdoor pursuits. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you're right. I think right now today, podcasting is one of the main ones because yeah. uh, you can go, you, you download it, consume it wherever you are, whether you're in a tree stand or uh, in your pickup or hiking, you know, wherever you find yourself. Yeah. Um, something we're going to try to do knowing that people like to be out. Uh, we're going to do some guided hikes with communion and, hmm. you know, a little bit, a little bit of devotional and reflectional about what's around us yeah, uh, yeah. this summer when we can get back, back in the mountains. Um, and to my knowledge, that's not something that's been done in my church and it's right. hundred and 10 year history. Hmm. And it's one of those things like it's, it's here in front of us. It's right yeah. here. Yeah. Um, you know, and so how do we, how do we offer that is, is the exact Exact question, right? What are the things yeah. that we're doing that still connects people in, even ever so slightly? Well, that was a question that we've we've been kicking around here. What are some ways that we can, um, you know, where I live in in Tahlequah, it's you know, it's the most beautiful part of the state, and so we have, I mean, our we have we're we have lakes, and you know, people hike and kayak and all that stuff, and so how can we engage people that are doing that? And uh, this year when uh, hunting season was around, one of our hunters came to me and he said, you know, I know, you know, I wasn't at church on Sunday. I said, I know it's hunting season. I didn't expect you to be at church on Sunday. I expected you right. to be out hunting because that's what you do. He said, I was, but I also want you to know, I still took the live stream with me and I was listening on my earbuds as I had, as I was sitting in, a, in, in my deer stand. Oh, and, cool. and so it, it, it allowed us to have some legitimacy in, in the live stream because people were critical of it and it wasn't at that time it wasn't really huge like we I mean we had about 10 to 15 people uh joining in with us uh and those were people that were connected to the church in some way shape or form um but uh what it did for us unknowingly is it set us up for this moment that we were already ready to do church online and that's yeah. you know we've had to make a few adjustments but we've been able to reach out to people who were taking us to you know, maybe they were going to go kayak that day. And so instead of getting it, being at church, they were out kayaking, but yet they still were, they still felt connected to their community. Yeah. Um, and I think that when we can bridge that gap, when the church actually does that thing and actually goes out and, you know, br- makes, brings community to the, to the community that they're around, it actually is being the church in the best way that it's possible. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I tell you, I've had some great experiences. I mean, the whole, the, the, like the, the moniker Reverend Hunter came from um, when I first, when, when I was just like losing all my gigs and really still wanted to preach and be out there and meeting people. Um, so I posted a thing on my blog. This might have been like eight, seven years ago or something. And I said, I will preach anywhere for free in exchange for hunting. And I started some, some dude from Tulsa. I never, some Episcopal priest from Tulsa actually reached out to me and I never ended up going down there. I, I don't know. We could never figure out the timing or whatever, but um, I started going out to the Dakotas and I would preach at these little churches, like 15 people there on Sunday. You know what I'm saying? Um, really in small towns, struggling little churches, but, incredible my experiences at these places you know like preach then there's a potluck supper uh you know downstairs and everyone's just loving the community and being there Uh, and then i get to you know duck hunt with people from that church for four or five days afterwards 
Mm -hmm. And um, so anyways, for all your listeners out there, that is still an open (laughs) offer, including for you two guys who both (laughs) places where there's good hunting. I don't really need uh, invitations to come to New Jersey or whatever. (laughs) Montana and Oklahoma, I would definitely be keen to uh, come and preach in exchange for hunting. And I ended up writing about that in the, in the Minneapolis newspaper and the editor gave it the headline Reverend Hunter Mm. of, of that story that I wrote. And so that's how that name kind of came and stuck. And then, I decided, well, what the hell? I might as well buy ReverendHunter.com and start <laughs> to build a little deal around that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of yeah. how our that's kind of how our podcast started. Uh, that right? we, we did the same thing. Uh, you know, some someone acknowledged that we had beards and we should just be the bearded theologians, and it just the domain was open, and so we took it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then we felt justified we had to use it. So you know, here well, we are. now what do you? I mean, now you dudes like gotta keep your beards. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's been some fun, uh, some fun moments uh, when you are you know when you're trimming up. You like go very carefully, <laughs> making sure that you know there's not going to be a, a razor mishap, and you're having to um, you know start over again. That's that's <laughs> definitely been right. some fun times. Had to buy buy a new domain name after that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> or just theologians after that. Well, they're saying too that you know now they're trying to they they may be pushing us all to start wearing masks because mm-hmm. the countries where people are wearing masks um have much lower um uh, uh distribution rates of the virus. But I mean the the masks, the thicker your beard, the less yeah. effective the mask is. So I don't know, guys. Yeah. I'll, uh, I, I choose quarantine. Uh, <laughs> I will. I will. Uh, I will choose isolation to the best of my ability. Over shaving. Over shaving. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. That's, that's how it goes. You know. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm down with that. And as an introvert, that's just more heaven for me. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's you, too funny. Yeah. Oh, uh, thank you for your time man um i yeah. know um uh, you know I, I know it was a random uh email that I, you know when you when i saw that you'd had that and i was like man i want to see if we can get him on the show uh it'd be good to talk to him again um i i you and i have had uh, many times we've crossed paths in different ways back yeah. in the days and uh um i've always respected your work um thanks your, uh, your soul keeper book has been one that i i mean it two like three of your books still sit on my shelf that i use uh, quite frequently for all different mm-hmm. things um uh, and the ones on spiritual practices definitely are ones that I share with my youth ministers when I have them and say, Hey, like, these are the things we probably should be, you know, you need to be thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you definitely have been an influence on my ministry. And so I just, you know, need you to know that. And, uh, I'm glad you're able to join us today. Hey, uh, that's, that's super great to hear. I really appreciate it. Um, I, yeah, I, I through this, you know, 30 year journey of doing ministry, through all the, everything I talked about when we started, you know, whether it was um, doing mission work on an Indian reservation or writing those early books and speaking at the youth specialties conferences or uh, the whole like awesome 10 year run of the emerging church movement. And we did, I did the church basement road show one summer with, with uh, Mark Scandrett and Doug Padgett. I mean, I just said, I've, I've met incredible people. I've great, I, I have such great respect for so many people who are doing ministry, like you guys who are in churches 
ministering to people. It's, it's really why, like I was saying, when I go out to preach in little churches in this hunting exchange thing, I absolutely love it. And there's a huge part of my heart that lives in these small parishes that are ministering to people uh, faithfully over many, many years and decades. So I, I right back at you. I'm, I'm thrilled to be on, come on anytime. I appreciate your interest in my podcast and I hope it's, you know, I hope people find something valuable from it. And you can yeah. find the podcast at uh, most places you can find podcasts, correct? Yeah, my kids, it's so funny. My kids were, um, I was like, we were all in the living room because they're all home now from college for this quarantine deal. And I'm like, everybody pull out your phones. I'm like, everybody subscribe to my podcast and five stars right now. Because I'm like, I got, I got five people right here in the room. That's right. And so my kids start typing, Rev. they don't even really know how to spell Reverend. You know, they're like, R-E-V. They're like, oh my gosh, you're the top result on the autofill. Nice. <laughs> like, that's like uh, being the world's tallest midget. That's, I don't think there's, a, there's not a lot of competition for, for – uh, podcast titled reverend anything so right yeah right. you can find it at reverendhunter.com uh you can see some stuff i've written there but yes anywhere i'd, I'd love for people to listen to the podcast I'd, if people have ideas because i've been getting you know um ideas from people of of guests i should have on the show mm. um you know i'd love to for people to pitch in coming up next monday um is my interview with jesse diggins and she is a gold medal cross-country skier she won the first ever gold medal in cross-country skiing in the olympics for the united states mm, awesome. and uh yeah she's a pretty impressive and and has overcome an eating disorder to do it and it, it's pretty she's a pretty intense person so it was a fun interview yeah that's awesome we'll make sure to get the links and everything up in our our uh website and podcast and everything too so yeah, uh, you know, thanks Tony for being on. And so for the Bearded Theologians, I'm Matt Franks. I'm Zach Bechtold. Thanks for checking us out. Thank you for listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share on all social media outlets. You can check out old episodes and more information at beardedtheologians.com. Thanks for checking us out.